You're listening to the official Travel Through History podcast. We're the producers. I'm Joe. And I'm John. If you haven't heard our story yet, go back to the first episode. We kind of give you a little breakdown of how this all started. In the meantime, the voice of the show, Jillian, will take you to our next destination. Take it away, Jillian. Famous hot wings, famous waterfalls, famous presidents, and famous architects. We've got it all on today's episode of Travel Through History. Can you guess where we are? If you said Buffalo, Niagara, you'd be right. Frank Lloyd Wright, that is. First, we'll head to New York's west border with Canada and explore the U.S. side of one of America's most famous landmarks, Niagara Falls. So get your swim trunks and flippy floppies on, because we're gonna get soaked. Speaking of flip-flops, we head to Old Fort Niagara, an important pre-revolutionary fortification that went from French to British to American back to British, and then back to American hands. Then we learn about Buffalo's place and history, at the location of one president's tragic end and another's rise to fame, at the Teddy Roosevelt National Inaugural Site. Finally, we check out celebrated architect Frank Lloyd Wright's grand creation in Buffalo, known as the Martin House. This is what happens when you give the most famous architect in American history an unlimited budget. So no matter how you like your hot wings, we've got a hot show for you today on Travel Through History, Western New York edition. Located at the mouth of the Niagara River in Western New York State, is a culturally inviting city surrounded by upstate country charm and breathtaking natural wonders. It's a city rich in history, art, and architecture. And when it comes to food, chances are you're already familiar with this city's signature dish. Hi, I'm Patrick Kaler, President and CEO of Visit Buffalo Niagara here in Buffalo, New York. We're in downtown Buffalo at Canal Side, which in 1825 was the start of the western portion of the Erie Canal. We were the western gateway to the United States. The opening of Erie Canal helped put Buffalo on the map, and soon it grew to the eighth largest city in the United States by the turn of the century. I love Buffalo because it's a great year-round destination. We have so many things to see and do in Buffalo. Every month is great, but the summer months are fantastic when you can be near the waterfront here at Canal Side, out on Lake Erie and taking in all of the different water sports that are available. It's just a great time to visit the city. Speaking of water, just a short drive from Buffalo is probably one of the most famous watery sensations this side of the Mississippi. Hi, I'm John Percy. I'm President and CEO of Niagara USA, and we are here in Niagara Falls. People around the world know Niagara Falls. You know, a lot of people, they came here when they were three or four. We invite them back to have that nostalgic experience that they had when they were a child. What I love about Niagara Falls, New York, again, is that experience. I think the state park has the most natural setting to take a picnic, to have a spiritual moment, or really just feel that majestic power of the falls. To experience the falls is just a completely new experience. It's one thing to see it in photos and video, but to actually stand at the falls and to hear that water rushing through and feel the power, it's just amazing. You will leave with one of the best memorable trips or vacations you'll ever have here in Niagara Falls. Right about now is when we like to talk about food here on Travel Through History. And in this episode, we may have stumbled upon the most perfect example of a city being known for its famous dish. 
Well, while you're here in Buffalo, you have got to obviously try our chicken wings, and we've got lots of places where you can do that. 50 years ago, the owner of the Anchor Bar came up with the iconic idea for the buffalo wing. Her sons were out one evening, and they came back, and they were looking for something to eat. She said, all I've got left are some chicken wings. So she cooked them up and made them a little bit different than she normally would, and the guys loved it. The word spread throughout the uh, town, and that's how we're known for our buffalo wing. You can have great wings anywhere in Buffalo. I like mine medium, extra crispy. Oh, uh, I like anything hot. My ulcer doesn't like it, but I don't care. Gotta pay the price. It's good. Yeah, I can't handle, I'm getting older. I can't handle the hot, unfortunately. Yeah, can't do it. Medium for sure, yeah. I'm really kind of a mild guy. <laughs> Whether you like them hot, medium, or mild, I'll bet you didn't know that Buffalo has another secret that locals hold dear. Beef on weck, that goes so far back. A lot of people don't know about it. They say, what is a weck roll? It's a camel weck roll that is baked with caraway seeds and salt baked right into the roll. Rare roast beef, sliced to order, with lots of horseradish. A little au jus, and you're set to go. It's a wonderful Western New York specialty that we really hold exclusively here in Western New York. And again, those rolls don't travel, so you have to come to Buffalo to eat a Kimowak roll. Buffalo is a whole lot more than chicken wings and snow. We have a great city on the shores of Lake Erie. Our community is a wonderful, engaging, and friendly population. We love to welcome visitors here, and we have some of the best architecture, cultural assets, and some of the most wonderful natural elements. Natural elements indeed, but did you know that there's a great deal of history right here in Buffalo, New York? Well, of course you did. I mean, that's probably why you're watching. So let's get ready to shove off the Buffalo Niagara episode with a little bit of naval history. Hi, my name is John Branning, Superintendent of Ships here at the Buffalo Naval and Military Park. We're standing on the forecastle of the USS The Sullivans. This was a, uh, a vessel that served in World War II in Korea and up through the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. This is named for the five Sullivan brothers who were lost uh, in World War II. All five Sullivan brothers were stationed on board the USS Juno in 1942, when it was attacked by a torpedo and sank off the coast of Guadalcanal. Because of this tragic event, Franklin Roosevelt decided that one of the newest vessels in the U.S. fleet be named in their honor. Besides the, uh, the USS the Sullivans, we have to my left the USS Little Rock. It's the only guided missile cruiser that's on permanent display anywhere in the United States. The other two vessels we have, first is USS Croker, which is a uh, Gato-class submarine that served in World War II as well. She was brought back into service later in the 50s, reconfigured basically to hunt and kill Soviet submarines during the Cold War. Then our other vessel that we have that's over in our yard is PTF-17, that's a PT boat, similar to what President uh, Kennedy served on during World War II, but it served in Vietnam. A stroll through the vessels of the Naval Yard is like walking through a living, breathing history exhibit. It's difficult to tour these ships without feeling a connection to the men and women that served. We might not all know somebody who's serving in the military, but we know somebody who knows somebody who is. And so you come down here, not just to step back into time, but it, it lets you appreciate what the sailors and Marines, male and female, are having to deal with today. And this is a way that you can come down and appreciate these vessels and appreciate what our veterans do each and every day. We'll be back with more Travel Through History after the break. 
Hey everybody, it's Joe and John, the producers of Travel Through History here. And one thing I wanted to mention to you guys was the only way that we're able to even make programming like this is through a charity. And our charity is called the Watch and Learn Foundation, and you can visit it by going to watchandlearn.org. What Joe really means is that we have no idea how to sell the show. And although we've tried in the last four years, it, we haven't been successful at it. We can shoot, write, produce, edit. What else do we do? Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. Everything that but we can't sell. Yeah. Yep, so if, you, if you're actually somebody listening that can help us sell the show, please call us, send us an email, anything, because we really want to keep doing more of these, and we'd actually like to pay our bills. But in the meantime, you can go to watchandlearn.org and make a donation. That's right. That's www.watchandlearn.org, and donate and keep shows like Travel Through History and other educational shows on the air. Today we're visiting one of the most beautiful tourist destinations in North America. So grab your poncho and your flip-flops because on this ride, you will get wet. Hello, my name is Julia Lochner. I'm an ambassador for the Niagara Falls State Park. We're at the Cave of the Winds in Niagara Falls State Park, the oldest state park in the country. You may be surprised to find that Niagara Falls is actually comprised of not one, but three waterfalls, all of which straddle the border between the U.S. and Canada. What you're looking at is the American Falls and the Bridal Veil Falls. So you have 67,000 gallons of water going over this side. The Horseshoe Falls has 675,000 gallons going over the park. This is so much water that the falls recede up to six feet per year from erosion. Over the past 12,000 years, they have receded seven miles upstream. And this power of the falls has piqued the interest of many a thrill seeker. In the 1800s, 1850s, daredevils started tightroping across the falls. Then in the 1900s, 1901, Annie Edison Taylor, a 63-year-old woman, went over in a barrel, the first daredevil to go over the falls. Edison saw the stunt as a way to achieve fame and fortune. But after barreling over the falls, she reported, I would sooner walk up to the mouth of a cannon than make another trip over the fall. It's a 200-foot plunge down into water, like hitting rock and, uh, or cement, and uh, very rarely does anybody survive that. And if they are, they're very lucky. If you visit the state park, you definitely want to go on the Maid of the Mist boat ride, which takes you right up to the falls. We sit in the horseshoe and uh, current and allow people to get wet with the mist. Leave wet, you know, leave laughing when you're on the hurricane deck at the Cave of the Winds with, you know, wearing a pair of sandals and, and a plastic raincoat, because um, you do want to leave soaked because it's all part of the experience. Millions of people travel here each summer from all corners of the globe just to see and feel the legend of the falls. The first time I saw the falls, it was mesmerizing. Every day I come to the falls, it just takes my breath away. The view you'll get here really puts the gorge in gorgeous. And while you can visit this natural wonder of the world from both Ontario and New York, the American side is an experience like no other. You know, what's unique about the U.S. side of Niagara Falls is that you really get an up-close and personal, and really an up-close and powerful experience with the falls. You really get to interact with them on the U.S. side. You can actually touch the water. You can be next to the water. You can feel the water. You really get to walk up and feel that majestic power of the falls. So whether you come here on your honeymoon, on vacation, or even for a spiritual experience, 
a visit to Niagara Falls is not one to be missed. Like, missed, get it? You do have to come to Niagara because it gives you such a feeling in your heart that you've never experienced anywhere else. Just because of the sound, the feel, the visual. You know how they say all good things come in threes? Well, we're going from three waterfalls to a tale of three countries. Whether you're French, British, or American, you'll find a slice of your history at Old Fort Niagara. Good day, I'm Robert Emerson. I'm director of Old Fort Niagara. In the 18th century, the waterways were the main highways of, used to get around North America. So whoever controlled this point of land could keep their enemies out of all of the upper Great Lakes. Where we're standing are the main ramparts, and these were built between 1755 and 1757 by the French. France held control of the fort until 1759, when Britain took it over after a 19-day siege during the French and Indian War. Well, I'm dressed as a, an officer in the French Troupe de Terre. About 149 of these men were sent here in 1759 to defend the fort against the attack by the British. Fast forward to the American Revolution where the British held control over the fort until they were forced, by treaty, to yield it to the United States in 1796. The United States holds it until the War of 1812, and in December of 1813, the British again attacked. This time, in the pre-dawn hours of December 19th, they, they surprise the fort and capture it within about 30 minutes. So the fort again became British until it returned to the United States in 1815 at the end of the War of 1812. One of the longest continuously occupied military posts in North America. And although the fort belonged to the French, then the British, then the Americans, then the British again, and then finally back to the Americans for good, at least one thing stayed the same throughout. This was called Fort Niagara by the French, by the British, and by the Americans. So it, it has continuity of, of name. Today, a visit to Old Fort Niagara is like hopping into a time machine. This is the oldest collection of buildings in the Great Lakes Basin. In fact, the French Castle is the oldest building by far. It's eight years older than Independence Hall in Philadelphia. You can come here and see musket firing demonstrations. In the summer, we have artillery firing demonstrations. You'll see the trade room where the trader stored his goods to trade with the Native Americans. You'll see barracks rooms that are furnished showing how you packed 20 soldiers into a, a single room. Absolutely no privacy whatsoever. And when you walk through there today, you'll see it looking much as it did in the 1750s. Old Fort Niagara has been around for so long, it'll be hard to absorb all of its history in just one visit. Fort Niagara has a long history, and one of the things that we're able to do is to portray three different time periods on a regular basis. So our programs are always different. You might have come here once and you won't see the same thing again. More TTH when we return. Hey, it's John and Joe, the producers of Travel Through History. The only way we can affordably produce these shows is with an invitation from our tourism board partners. They help show us around and get us where we need to be to tell the story. Every American needs to visit Niagara Falls. I mean, it's a national treasure. And I definitely suggest that you hub out of Buffalo. That city is really coming along. It has some great neighborhoods, some wonderful food. Have a beef on wax sandwich and, uh, and visit buffaloniagara.com to start your research. Visit their site to learn more about the city's attractions and start planning a trip. Back to the show. 
The year is 1901 and the world's eyes are watching Buffalo. Millions of people came to visit the Pan American Exposition to see the Nickel City transform into the City of Light. But while most guests come to marvel at the technology of the future, one man was about to make history. Hi, I'm Janice Kuzan. I'm the assistant director here at the Theodore Roosevelt inaugural site in Buffalo, New York. Buffalo was the scene of a great tragedy in September of 1901. President William McKinley was shot by an assassin at the Pan American Exposition. The vice president, Theodore Roosevelt, rushed to Buffalo as soon as he heard the news. After a 12-hour journey by hike, stagecoach, and train, he arrived into town to find McKinley slowly recovering. So when everything seemed stable, he packed up, he left Buffalo, went up to Mount Marcy. But it was all downhill from there. A bullet was still buried into McKinley's abdomen and there was nothing more doctors could do. Roosevelt makes that breakneck journey back to Buffalo, arrives here. Uh, McKinley had passed during the early morning hours of that September 14th. But the nation needed a leader. As second in command, Roosevelt was to be inaugurated into the office as quickly as possible. But being hundreds of miles from the White House, he decided to do it right here in Buffalo. He had been staying here. He was close friends with the owner, Ansley Wilcox, and they felt that this would be the best location to have the president take the oath of office. During the inauguration, this small library was packed full of people. Some of McKinley's family was there and the room was somber and emotional. So when a cameraman made a racket, Roosevelt started off his presidency by taking the bull moose by the horns. Picture the cameras in 1901, a giant heavy contraption, it crashes to the floor. So President Roosevelt says, enough, everybody out. So there are no photographs of the actual inauguration. Although there weren't any pictures taken, there was one drawing done to capture the moment. And on a visit here, not only can you stand in that very room, but you can also get a deeper look into the beginning of Roosevelt's presidency. The desk in that room belonged to Mr. Wilcox, and Theodore Roosevelt sat at the desk, and he drafted his first proclamation to the nation. The man was a prolific author, speaker beyond compare, and he crossed out, he stopped, he started. He really struggled to come um, to just the right message to send to the people of the United States. And that message soon became clear. It's set in stone that Theodore Roosevelt is one of the most beloved presidents. Literally, his face is carved into Mount Rushmore. And although McKinley's death was unexpected and tragic, President Roosevelt's unique inauguration is certainly one for the history books. The circumstances that happened here, a president taking the inauguration in a private home and having this treasure here for us to visit today is pretty incredible. And again, for us, we don't just talk about that one moment in history. So when people come here, they don't just come into rooms and look at furniture. We try to make people realize that Theodore Roosevelt is truly relevant in our lives today, and he is. But the Wilcox House wasn't the only one making history in Buffalo. Around the same time, Frank Lloyd Wright, an American architect, was given his first major commission, and it was the beginning of a legacy. Hello, I'm Mary Roberts, executive director for Frank Lloyd Wright's Martin House here in Buffalo, New York. 
We're standing in front of one of Frank Lloyd Wright's most important early career residential commissions, the Darwin D. Martin House. This house may not look like much to the modern eye, but in the early 1900s, houses looked more like this than the revolutionary creations of Wright's imagination. And with an unlimited budget, he set out to create a house unlike anything anyone had ever seen. We often think that the Martin House is part of what set Frank Lloyd Wright on his trail to national and international fame. Wright had a mind ahead of his time. He designed this estate to be electrified before people even used electricity in their homes. But while his designs were futuristic, Wright's style was all about bringing it back to nature. Prairie-style architecture is rooted in nature. It has a very organic color palette. It's based on the theme of the Midwest prairie, very long and low, horizontal, stretching seamlessly, endlessly for miles. As soon as you step through the front door, you're greeted by the pergola. Take a walk through this long, open-air corridor and you'll find yourself on a tranquil journey to the conservatory. You can hear the burbling fountains, you can smell the flowers. It's just a wonderful transitional space and it, it plays up Wright's genius in connecting to the organic and natural environment. And this buffalo treasure is perfectly restored, including 400 art glass windows, which are glittered throughout the estates. These light screens, as Wright would call them, help to create an almost seamless flow between the house and nature. He is arguably America's greatest architect, and his influence on architecture and design is indisputable throughout history. You have to come see the Frank Lloyd Wright Martin House in Buffalo because to see it is to believe the genius that's here. It's really not just a house. It's an estate that's complemented with buildings, landscape, furnishings, art glass windows. It's the total package. Stick around because we finish our tour of Buffalo after this break. Hey everybody, it's Joe and John, the producers of Travel Through History here. And one thing I wanted to mention to you guys was the only way that we're able to even make programming like this is through a charity. And our charity is called the Watch and Learn Foundation, and you can visit it by going to watchandlearn.org. What Joe really means is that we have no idea how to sell the show. And although we've tried in the last four years, it, we haven't been successful at it. We can shoot, write, produce, edit. What else do we do? Pretty much everything. Pretty much everything. Everything that... But we can't sell. Yeah. Yeah, so if, you, if you're actually somebody listening that can help us sell the show, please call us, send us an email, anything, because we really want to keep doing more of these, and we'd actually like to pay our bills. But in the meantime, you can go to watchandlearn.org and make a donation. That's right. That's www.watchandlearn.org, and donate and keep shows like Travel Through History and other educational shows on the air. Every week, we post new episode information to our website, travelthroughhistory.tv. But we want to hear even more from our viewers. So like us on our Facebook page as well at facebook.com slash travel through history. Tell us where we should go next or teach us something new. Today we gawked at the national treasure that is Niagara Falls and got soaked on the world famous Maid of the Mist. We fired the cannons and defended Fort Niagara. We learned how violence led to Theodore Roosevelt's ascendance to the presidency. And we strolled through Buffalo's famous downtown naval yard and its famous Frank Lloyd Wright home. So, did you realize there was more to Western New York than just wings and beef sandwiches? We hope so. Buffalo and Niagara are beautiful cities with rich histories, and we hope we inspired you to learn more. See you next week on Travel Through History. Thanks for listening to Travel Through History. Don't forget to visit the website to learn more about the places we visited and some quick history. That's www.travelthroughhistory.tv.